chapter 4, verse 1, 2, and 3. So this is after the awakening, after the people of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes. You remember the king actually took off his royal robes and put on sackcloth and sat in the ashes. I can't get over that image in my head of that king doing that. As they repented and as they cried out to God, and God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way. And then God relented concerning the calamity, which he had declared he would bring upon him, and he did not do it. But, verse 1, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was it not this what I said when I was in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. This uh, couple words that stuck out to me as I studied this uh, again, as I reviewed it, was this, as Jonah said, in order to forestall this, in order to delay this, in order to hinder this, prevent this, you, God, from doing this, I fled to Tarshish. So we think of that, we think of Jonah's mindset behind this. Jonah recognized the character of God. He says that God is a gracious God, in verse 2, and compassionate God, which is a key word we find in chapter 4. This compassionate God whom we serve. And Jonah is one who lacked compassion. Jonah, a prophet of God, Jonah knowing the attributes of God, Jonah knowing God, Jonah experiencing um, the, the, the hand of God on his life and in a way of an affliction, and then bringing him back to a place of recommission, ought to have compassion for the people. And Jonah did not. He lacked compassion. But he recognized God as a gracious God, a compassionate God, a God that is slow to anger. But Jonah, contrary, he was angry. Verse 1, it says he was still angry, apparently still angry in the city, and also still angry in verse 9. When God says to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And we will look at that in a few moments. So this is the, the next day in verse 7. So Jonah is has been angry, and he continues to be angry, which is contrary to God being slow to anger. And he recognizes God as abundant in loving kindness. And this also was a character trait Jonah was not expressing. God is one who relented concerning calamity. We find in chapter 3, verse 10, that God did not bring upon judgment because of genuine repentance. This is what is upsetting to Jonah. And Jonah had some growing that he still needed to do. His repentance and renewal was not as thorough as it seemed at first glance. He was angry that God showed compassion to the Ninevites. He knew the truth of God. He says, I know you are gracious and compassionate. 
And his response shows that more of a heart change is needed in his life. He's the work in progress, just like we are. It is one thing to sin in ignorance of, of knowing God and his attributes, saying, I have no idea who God is. An unbeliever saying, I have no idea who he is. I have no idea who his attributes are, or what his attributes are, and, I, and they sin. But it's quite another thing to know God as Jonah did and to know about God and know the attributes of God and respond sinfully anyway and respond in a way uh, without compassion to these people anyway. He was angry. Why is that? Well, there was some resentment there. The Ninevites were obviously wicked people, and God showed them mercy. When Jonah thought that only judgment was right for them. It's as if he was saying, it's okay if you show compassion on this group of people, but not on this group. It's okay for Israel, but anyone else, no. But surely not the Ninevites. They are too far gone. They are too evil. How could anyone, how could you, O God, show them compassion? We find a similar mindset in the Gospel of Luke, and I'd like us to turn there as well. Um, this evening, uh, Luke chapter 15. So we're going to be in Jonah and Luke. Um, We'll be back to Jonah, but we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son, the younger son, and the older son, and consider a mindset of how one should be when one gets converted, when one is born again, when one comes to their senses. And comes to the Lord or or realizes that they've gone down the wrong road and they turn back. Let's just look at this. Chapter 15 and verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. He wanted it early and he wanted to do what he was going to do with it. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? And I am dying here with hunger. He's left with the pigs. I will get up and I will go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. A man who saw his sin, a man who saw that he was uh, sinful and that he sinned against the father. And the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. 
For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they begin to celebrate as we would celebrate when one who was lost has become found. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He wondered what this was all about. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered, said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. For we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. So the older brother mindset, similar to what Jonah had. Jonah once to die because of this. We see that in verse 3 of Jonah 4. Please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And we'll see how Jonah goes on a roller coaster of emotions here. Shouldn't Jonah have responded with rejoicing? I mean, he just went into Nineveh. He preached to the Ninevites. They responded with sackcloth and ashes and repentance. And they were crying out to God, and God did not judge them. He should be jumping up and down and, and clicking his heels. But he's not. As Richard Phillips says, it never dawned on him, it never dawned on him that it was more glorious for God to provide for their forgiveness through repentance and faith. So Jonah was resentful toward God. His anger also showed his rank hostility, hostility towards the Gentiles, hostility toward them being saved, able to be saved by God. But Jonah was, after all, a Hebrew, which he reminded the sailors of in chapter 1, possibly as a prideful statement. This is the country I'm from. I'm a Hebrew. Was there ethnic pride? I, I think so. He had a pharisaical disposition, as if we have the law and, and they don't. How could they even come to know God? It's similar to Luke chapter 18 with the Pharisee and the publican. In chapter 18, verse 9, he told this parable to some people trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes, tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see the the mindset there. Also, Jonah's anger shows ruthless pride, unmerciful pride. Jonah wants to call the shots. He wants to be able to say, you'll save who I say you'll save, and judge who I say you'll judge. It was God's will that the Ninevites heard the message, that they would respond to the message, and that they would be saved. This angered Jonah. These Ninevites were wicked, sinned against Jonah's own people, and now God showed mercy and compassion towards them. Think of that when we consider wars that go on, and someone who's a Christian in one country, and an enemy of another country, they commit atrocities toward their country, and then there's this um, lifelong, sometimes just headbutting, lifelong hatred between two countries to um, groups of people, and even to the point to where if there is a Christian in one and someone gets converted in the other and they say, no, 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 that could not be. Being angered by such a thing. Let us never have hearts as, as such. Jonah grieved that a repentant city would be spared by God's, God's judgment. A repentant city, Nineveh, would be spared from the judgment of God. And we contrast that to how Jesus grieved over a city that was unrepentant, that would be judged. And we see that in Luke 13. So think of Jonah as he was sitting up, as we'll look at, might as well read it right now. Jonah chapter 5, Jonah went out from the city, excuse me, Chapter 4, verse 5, Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself, sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Possibly this conversion wouldn't last. Possibly this was something that, that, that God would still do something to them, these Ninevites. I'm going to sit back and watch. And then we have the disposition of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 13, 34 and 35. <clears throat> when Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That we would have the the disposition of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of, uh, of the lost, those without a shepherd. And so the Lord asked a question of Jonah. The Lord appointed a great plant, and it grew up over Jonah, chapter 4, verse 6, to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. 
And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So Jonah was just angry. And now here he is happy about the plant because it was bringing him comfort because he was in discomfort. Now, this plant that God appointed, it grew very quickly. And we say, how could that be? Well, if you just consider even a small zucchini that has been planted, and then over a few days, it can grow triple the size, as I have experienced recently with our garden that Lindsay mostly maintains. So we could technically call it her garden, but I'm a helper in the garden. But a zucchini that was just a tiny thing, and then we check on it a few days later, and it's like three, four times the size. It's like, how does that happen? Well, even this God can do as he appoints a plant that grew up over Jonah very quickly to be a shade over his head. See that compassion that God has. So Jonah leaves the city, separating himself from the people of Nineveh to see what would happen to the city, still angry, no doubt, perhaps hoping that these were possibly false converts, not a, not a true repentance. He preached to them. They responded in repentance and cried out to God. Now they're sheep without a shepherd. Who's going to teach them? Why didn't Jonah stay for a while? Here they are crying out to God, sackcloth and ashes, and Jonah eventually dips out. Why not teach them? Couldn't Jonah have stayed and discipled them? <clears throat> he was concerned about himself and had a self-centered mindset. Once again, Jonah benefited from a God-appointed blessing by the way of shade, delivering him from his discomfort. Possibly a castor oil plant, huge leaves, fast growing. If, uh, since God can appoint a great fish, he can definitely appoint a plant. Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Notice he wasn't extremely happy about people coming uh, to know God, to cry out to God, but he was extremely happy about this plant that was giving him comfort. This was a quick change in his mind. He was angry, now he's happy. Mood swings, uh, here we go. God appointed a means of comfort, and then God appoints a means of discomfort by appointing the worm. God appointed a worm, verse 7, and when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And we could say, how could that be? Well, we can even relate to that. If you've ever had a garden, had uh, produce, had vegetables, and there one day, gone the next. But God appointed this worm, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. Notice who keeps appointing these things. It is the one true God. Appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die once again, saying, death is better to me than life. Well, he was just happy not that long ago. Death is better to me than life. Despair, he responds with. Desire for death. Then the Lord asks Jonah a question. God said to Jonah, do you have reason to be angry about the plant? 
Jonah responds, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Imagine responding that way to God. Maybe some of us have responded that way to God or have said such things that to God that we regret in a, in a fit of rage or anger. This time, an answer is recorded. I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord gets the last word as he instructs Jonah, and it is instructive for us all. The Lord said, You had compassion, verse 10, on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 thousand persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals. Jonah had compassion for a plant. It was a plant that was temporary. It was a plant that provided Jonah comfort, but it was just a plant. Jonah showed no compassion for lost sinners, people who are not temporary, but have eternal souls, people who are lost. Jonah's focus was misguided at best and wickedly self-centered and self-focused at worst. And the Lord's focus, as we see, is so broad yet so specific into all the details. 120,000 plus people that are spiritually ignorant and animals, probably a reference to their livestock, God chose to have compassion on them. Just as the Lord says in, in Exodus thirty-three nineteen to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And a similar thing is expounded upon by Paul in Romans chapter 9. So what can we learn from Jonah? Well, there's much we can learn from Jonah, some of which we covered, some of which we still could cover. But Jonah did not end where perhaps we think he should have ended as far as through what God taught him and brought him through. But then again, we relate this to our own lives as God brings us through trials, as God sends storms in our lives. And we do grow and we do benefit and we do uh, walk with a limp, um, and we do have these scars in our lives, spiritual scars. But the Lord sees us through. But it's easy for us to look back in hindsight. It's easy for us to examine someone else's life at times rather than our own lives. Secondly, there was observable growth and grace in Jonah's life. We can see that. He went from fleeing from the presence of God, commissioned by God. God says to do this, and he went fleeing from the presence of God. Then he went in chapter 2, fleeing to God in prayer. So going away from God to fleeing to God in prayer. Chapter 1, he fled. Chapter 2, he prayed. Chapter 4, he prayed. And then we learn that Jonah lacked compassion for lost sinners. 
And do, the question for us is, do we lack compassion for lost sinners? Jonah did not seem to cultivate compassion. We must pray for a heart of compassion for the lost. Fourth, we need to triage our compassion. Compassion for a plant, compassion for animals. What about compassion for eternal souls, first and foremost? Just practical things. How wide, though, is God's mercy and God's compassion? As we end with this, we think about this, meditate upon this this week. The compassion of God, Jonah chapter 4, as we read as well, I believe it was in Psalm 115 this morning. God's compassion, God's mercy towards us. Consider the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the wooden cross as he died for sinners. He thought of his people. He had compassion on lost people. He thought of us when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He thought of us when he instituted the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He thought of us in John chapter 17 when he prayed to the Father for the people whom God would give to the Son. He thought of his people in the garden when he prayed to the Father. He showed compassion, concern for his disciples while on the cross. If you remember the account with um, the instructions he was given about his, his mother. He showed mercy to a thief who was crucified next to him. Indeed, God is compassionate and shows us mercy. He sacrificed his life so that we may live. Question to leave with is, as Jonah left with a question, should we not have compassion on lost sinners in Litchfield, in New Hampshire, in the United States, and the world? That God would cultivate that compassion in our hearts and that we would prayerfully cultivate that compassion for lost sinners in our hearts and we would respond with proclaiming the Gospels. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this study on Jonah. Uh, these four chapters that we have gone through, we have looked at, we have learned from, and we see ultimately this points to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, who has shown us great mercy, who has shown us so much compassion, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's, that's me, Lord. That is those here who, who know Jesus. We would say, that is me, O Lord, that is me. God, that you would please help us to cultivate a heart of compassion for the lost. Those who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Those who need to be reached locally and globally. As we know, we don't, not everyone goes, Lord, but those who don't go hold the rope for those who do go. Lord, that you would give us uh, the desire to proclaim your gospel, that you give us opportunities this upcoming week 
countless opportunities to uh, proclaim your truth to a lost and dying world. Lord, we also pray that we would have compassion on our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with uh, whatever they may be going through, a emotional time, a, a trial, a sin that is weighing them down. Uh, if they are tempted in a way, if they are backslidden, God, help us to be compassionate towards them and to speak into their lives with your truth, Lord. We thank you for this day set apart. Thank you for this day that we've been able to spend uh, in worship of you, worshiping you here, Lord, centered around the truth, singing hymns. Lord, we had uh, a meal. Some of us had a meal together afterwards. Some of us were able to decorate and set up for VBS, oh Lord, and enjoy each other's company. I share a good laugh. Maybe some of us had fellowship at, a, at someone's house in the afternoon with this common bond, Lord, that you give us. There's nothing like it, Lord. We thank you for that, God. And we pray, as our brother prayed a little bit ago, for VBS this upcoming week. Whoever you may bring, let them not leave uh, unconverted, we ask. Let seeds be planted, O oh Lord. Let growth happen in everyone's lives. Those who uh, are here to teach, those who are here as floaters, those who are here behind the scenes, those who help set up, those who will help break down, and the children who come in. Lord, just we ask that you would just bless all of us and the, and the, the children who would come in, Lord, with a joy unspeakable, because we serve you, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to see your name put on display in this place. As has been, as we desire, will be, and continue to be. Let all glory go to Christ. Please keep us safe. Keep us uh, on our journeys home this evening safe, Lord, in our travels. Thank you for life and eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.